And I think it's been a lot of trying to come to terms of like all these different things are me. But I guess the other thing I'm trying to figure out is also that, yeah, I have all these different interests, but my end goal is just to have the biggest impact that I can have. Hey everyone, welcome back to University. I'm Anne Marie Chiresso, your host. On today's show, I talk with 19 year old Ina Bupalam. She's an actor, activist, and founder of Dream Equal, a global nonprofit that she created to combat gender based issues like she faced growing up. I really love talking with Ina. She's super inspiring, and her commitment to changing the world through her experience with an open heart just blew me away in our conversation. You know, one thing I really admire about Ina is that she's authentically wearing so many different hats and she's not afraid to pursue her dreams. She's pursuing acting. She's an activist, a teacher, a student, a founder, and really so much more. So let's join my conversation as we talk about some of those labels and how Ina decided to spend her gap year that year between high school and college. You use words like present, mindful. What do you know about mindfulness and presence? And Because you're studying acting right now. I imagine that's a really big part of acting. Yeah. Do you have a meditation practice or a mindfulness practice, or is this kind of new exploration for you? This is kind of new. I've tried to do these things, but they've never actually stuck for a long time when I've been in school or, you know, I've always been going in and out of the house or traveling. So I'm hoping it will stick this time. But I guess like the big thing with acting is that it's all about presence and mindfulness and all about listening to the person that's talking to you. Because if you can't listen and authentically react, then you can't be a good actor because acting is not about, you know, you don't memorize lines. You don't think about how you're going to say something and say it that exact way, unless obviously a director tells you to do that. You have to authentically react to the other person. Otherwise it'll look like you're acting and the best actors don't look like they're acting. When I started to think about exactly what I wanted to do during this gap year, that's when acting came up because I actually, so I was very much into acting in elementary and middle school. It was my dream for a really, really long time, but I kind of put it aside um, in high school because, you know, there's had these other priorities that everyone kept telling me were things that I was supposed to do. And also because I was in Nebraska and there wasn't really the opportunity that I would have had living in pretty much any other big city. That's why I originally started to take gap year because of acting and my nonprofit work. Specifically, I wanted to start Dream Equal, which is the idea that I originally had. And then I met a friend over the summer, last summer, and we started discussing this other nonprofit idea um, for this climate justice organization. And so that kind of happened during my gap year as well. And so I guess like kind of my gap year has been those two nonprofits acting and then doing some UN work as well. That's a lot. That Mm -hmm. is a whole lot. And like all very interesting and get lots of different things going on. So you have these two or three different organizations Mm -hmm. and then there's the acting, like you have all these different personas. (laughs) Yeah. I think 
that's been a little difficult for me in terms of figuring out where exactly I fit in. And I know when I take acting classes in LA, I feel like a part of me is not being expressed properly because there's all these other identities that I have that are so important to me that aren't being, you know, articulated the way that I would want them to be, or I'm not being able to live in at that moment. And I think it's been a lot of trying to come to terms with like all these different things are me. But I guess the other thing I'm trying to figure out is also that, yeah, I have all these different interests, but my end goal is just to have the biggest impact that I can have. The end goal is to Mm. be able to be that person that sees the problems that other people deal with and then I'm dealing with and that my community is dealing with and take active action towards all of this. Nonprofit work might seem obvious that like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. It's social impact related. Acting is the same way for me. The way you tell a story dictates a lot about what message that story is you know, bringing across. When I was growing up, I wanted to be an actor for the longest time. I loved the idea of telling stories. I loved that so much. I loved bringing out these feelings that I didn't know I had in me. But when I was looking at the screen, I didn't see people that looked like me. And so acting is really a form of activism for me in that sense. But also because I used to watch so much TV growing up. And even now, like I watch TV and I see that there's these messages being put across to so many young girls, so many young people about how they look or how they're being treated. South Asians are so commonly looked at in a derogatory way on TV and film. And I really want to be able to be that change in that acting world. Yeah, wow. I get you. That makes so much sense to me. You can make impact in so many different ways, not just you, but Mm -hmm. the royal you. We can make impact in no matter what it is we choose to do. We each have a unique way to express ourselves. Exactly. One of the things that I'm really curious about is you've mentioned a few times how you've always had this one inside you that's been interested in acting. I imagine that goes way back. Tell us about that. Tell us about childhood and where you grew up and how you grew up. So I was born in Fargo, North Dakota, and then I moved to Lincoln, Nebraska when I was about, I think, nine months old. So Lincoln is the only home I know. So I guess in so many ways it shaped me. I was able to attend a very, very good public school system, which I'm so thankful for, even though like everyone obviously had their problems in school and I had my problems with high school and middle school and all those things. I'm really, really thankful to have had that quality education because without that, I would not have been able to do anything. Growing up in an, I guess, not so diverse place came with its challenges as well. In my elementary school and just in school in general, I didn't have anyone that looked like me and that obviously had a big role in how I view myself just played a big role in general in how good I felt in certain situations and how confident I felt in school. There was very few people that looked like me, right? There's very few people I could relate to. And until I started doing nonprofit work and everything, I didn't start to see people that looked like me. And so that really did come with its challenges. But in another sense, I'm so glad that I grew up here because of those challenges and because of you know, the stereotypes I face because of my race and because of my gender and those things that were inflicted on me, um, I came up with these ideas for nonprofit work. I came up with these ideas about how to solve the stereotypes that I faced growing up and still face growing up. And so I think like if I had grown up in a community that was maybe more liberal or was more diverse, I probably wouldn't have come up with these ideas. And I think the big thing with an activism and youth activism especially is we often and focus on communities that are already thinking the way that we think, like we're preaching to the choir. And I think I'm really happy to 
have connections to a community that doesn't think the same way that I think because it's not only made me more educated about different perspectives, it's allowed me to have an impact that I don't think I would have been able to have in another way. People think that I always identified as a feminist or that I always thought these things or that I was always like pro-LGBTQ or like I was always an ally. But the truth is, is that I grew up in a place where these things weren't commonly talked about and these things weren't commonly said in a positive manner. And I honestly used to have very, very opposite viewpoints than I did now. But because I went from that to this, it's easier for me to talk to people who are in the place that the old Ina was in. Because you can relate. You can understand their perspective. So take me to the Ina who was not the way she is now. Like the one, yeah, take me back to her. And Mm -hmm. and then and then what what changed? So I didn't identify as a feminist until a couple years ago. I think I probably always was one or, you know, at least was trying to go into that direction, but I definitely did not identify as one. I think I often heard these comments growing up as like, oh, feminists are crazy or, you know, yeah, like equality is good, but like not the kind where like feminists want to change all that language and stuff. Like I used to hear bad things or I used to hear insults when I was growing up or like, oh yeah, that kid's gay, don't talk to him or, you know, just simple things like that, which are ingrained in my mind. I don't know what they mean. I don't know why people are saying that, but I just go along with it because no one's telling me anything different. Everyone's saying it. Yeah. And my education, yeah, my education comes from the people around me. Right. But then in high school, I started facing a lot of problems because of my gender. I was very academically involved and in activities such as science school and debate. And when I entered ninth grade, I started on the debate team. And there were mostly boys in the debate team. There there were girls, but um, the girls weren't as involved as the boys were. And I started to win a lot of competitions. And I was one of the most successful debaters for my age in the school. I had broken a state record, like in my freshman year and everything. And I think because of that, that started to create some tension between the boys and me because they didn't like to see me succeeding as much as them or more than them. And so I started to face some problems because of that. And also then the girls started to become extremely catty as well. And they started backstabbing me. They would try to side with the boys so that they could feel like they were part of the team. And then I would get backstabbed. And so I really just didn't have anyone on my side. And then I think when I entered my sophomore year, that's when I, I kind of entered a very low point. What, is, I really what just, does that mean, a low point? I was extremely depressed. I was anxious. Every time I'd, I would go to school, I would literally shiver when I used to see these people because they would make all these mean comments. They had spread it to social media. Things were going around. Rumors were going around. And it came to the point where I was literally like throwing up in the bathroom sometimes out of anxiety. So not only only are you looking around and you don't see anyone you look like and you can't certainly relate to, but now, Mm -hmm. and you're feeling marginalized and all these things, but now you're being sort of isolated because Mm -hmm. you're seeding and people don't like that. So now you're being pushed out and bullied. And, and Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like the other thing is, and I'm so humiliated to say this, but like, I don't, so I, I guess I'll, before I go into this, I'll talk a little bit more about 
how this kind of ended, I guess. Um, but it got to the point where my friends were starting to notice a difference. And so my friend actually told my parents without my knowledge. Um, and then I found out that these kids had decided to go and tell the administrators that I was harassing them because they had an idea that I was going to go tell administration or something. Um, and so I remember I went with my parents and I was finally going to talk about this to someone and my parents said I was being bullied. And I was so humiliated that they used the word bullied because it has such a negative connotation. It feels like there's something wrong with me. And I still like now when I said this story, I never said I was being bullied because no, I said it. Yeah, exactly. Because I still have, unfortunately, that stigma around that word because I think we have all these, you know, seminars at school. We have all these workshops. They're like, oh, like, you know, these plays that they're like, don't be the bully, bully and victim. And so that made me feel extremely victimized, you know? And so I think- But wait, uh, weren't you feeling victimized? I mean, yeah, I was feeling victimized, of course. But when you say it, like, I'm not saying specifically because this is something that we all need to, like, figure out, like, being bullied isn't a- something wrong with you but it feels like when you're put into that victimized position it feels like there's something wrong with you you know really? that's how yeah. that's how you experience that that's so interesting to me mm-hmm. wow so I just want to pause for a moment and and understand that more closely so when you are being described as someone who has been bullied mm-hmm that feels bad to you. You feel what? What are the stories you make up about yourself when you hear that? Yeah, I think, and I think this is something that like a lot of kids probably go through, but there's so much stigma around the word being bullied. I guess it's kind of been made like a joke in school almost because like I said, you go through all these seminars that are like, that have like these like acronyms about being bullied and everything. And you always imagine like the weak kid in school being punched by a football player. Oh, so like weak. That. So weak. Yeah, it's like it's I'm that weak. weak. It's that feeling of being weak. Oh, right, yeah. right. Okay, that makes sense to me. Because when I think of the word bully, I think, you know, I think a lot of people hold it as like, there's just some jerk out there being unkind. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily think about the victim as being weak, Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. neither are true, right? It's just, it's interesting from your perspective, how you hold it. And that makes Mm -hmm. perfect sense to me. Of course that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So you're, so you're cringing, like you don't like this. Your parents Mm -hmm. are going in, you're talking to administrators at school and what happens? So, and I think this is a common thing with a lot of people in my situation or similar situations now is that administration doesn't really know how to address modern day bullying because everything occurs online in social media and everything can be deleted and everything's encrypted and you can't get proof of anything and so it kind of just became a he said she said thing but then one day I was just sitting down with my dad and I was complaining and I was talking to him about this and then he said you know like wait a minute and he's like you're so lucky to have a family and a support network and friends to help you get through this situation but how about kids that don't have that? You need to think about that. You need to do something about this. Mm. And so at first, like, obviously my first instinct was to be like, why are you telling me this? Like, I just want to complain. <laughs> like, you know, that's <laughs> obviously my first instinct. But, you know, I took some time to think about it after I cooled down. And I started to do some research about, like, why these issues are happening. Why 
they're a problem, how, if they're affecting other people, um, what are some organizations that are doing some work to solve these problems. And then I came across an article one day um, when I was sitting in class and it just popped up on my phone because, you know, my search history had literally all been about like bullying and gender and discrimination and all of this stuff. And so it popped up on my feed and it said, gender stereotypes start to develop at the age of six. And Mm -hmm. so that really caught me off guard. And I was like, oh my gosh. So these boys and these girls and all these kids in my school are getting these ideas. Even me, we got these ideas at such a young age. It's not their fault. They were treating me that way almost because society had ingrained this into our minds since we were so, so little. And you said earlier, my education comes from the people around me, right? It's the same exact thing. Mm -hmm. At six years old, we're just taking in information from our surroundings and then regurgitating them out in the world. So we're, we're just at the effect of what we've been taught by the people around us. Yeah. It's literally in the article said like at the age of six, that's when girls start to think they're not as smart as boys. Like these things happen so, so young. And so unconsciously. Um, Yeah, exactly. Like we don't even know it's in our books. It's in our TV. It's in the friends that we talk to. It's in the binary language that we use. It's, you know, a mom telling their kid to, like not telling their son anything, but telling their daughter to help with some housework, things that you don't even think about, right? Mm -hmm. Um, They're so unconsciously ingrained in our minds. But anyways, I saw the article and then I was doing some research on organizations and I saw there was literally no gender equality organization that was tackling these issues at the age in which they develop. They were all focusing on people that were in my age range, maybe older women, sometimes, you know, at the earliest, maybe like middle school. And if they did focus on young kids it was only girls and it was very very much like leadership it wasn't based off of tackling gender stereotypes and so that's when I came up with the idea of like how I needed to start something that was not only tackling the issue before it developed so taking a prevention over cure approach to the issue but that also included all genders because all genders are affected by this if mm-hmm. you know like boys and other people have these ideas because they've been taught that we can't have gender equality unless everyone thinks these things. Boys are also affected by these stereotypes so much. Yeah. Um, They can't show their feelings. They can't cry. They can't, they have to man up. They're not man enough. They have all of these things that they have to think about as well. Not to mention that these things are so, so much harder for kids who are trans, kids who are in the LGBTQ community, kids who identify as non-binary, kids who just don't, you know, the gender expression is not correlated with how society wants them to be. And so thinking about all those things, we're also thinking about the fact that lots of these organizations were accessible to people from lower socioeconomic backgrounds and not accessible to people that even like looked like me sometimes. Like I know like growing up Girl Scouts, there's only, you know, like higher socioeconomic white girls and Girl Scouts. Um, so like things like that, I wanted to make an organization that tackled all of these problems and was taking a new and innovative approach to gender equality. And that's how I came up with the idea of Dream Equal. So you did this at 16? Yes. As a result of your own personal experiences? Yeah. Okay, so here's here's what I want to get at. So many of us are, quote unquote, victims of our circumstances. It's just the way the world works, right? There's there's always going to be the victim persecutor. You're familiar Mm -hmm. with that whole model. And 
One of the things I teach through my coaching and, and the young people I work with is empowerment, right? That we're all empowered to create whatever experience we most want. But some of us find ourselves caught up in our victimization and we disempower ourselves. But there was something in you pushing you to break from your quote unquote victimization into a sort of a creator mindset, right? So I'm going to take what has happened in my life and I'm going to transform it into something greater. So I'm going to use my life experience, which is actually the most powerful way to activate, right? Because mm -hmm. without that experience, what's going to light the fire in you to want to do what you do, right? Mm -hmm. So there's almost even a way in which I might be stretching it. I'll see if you're open mm -hmm. to this or not. But there might even be a way in which those people who played those roles in your life early on, who sort of, you know, bullied you, if I can mm -hmm. use that word, <laughs> yes, <laughs> were almost gifts to you, right? They're like your allies in, in sort of lighting a fire in you and waking you up to this mission you had that probably was in you anyway. Mm -hmm. So I want to know, like, what is it? There's some people who buckle and then there's some people who rise up and you are clearly are rising up. What do you think contributes to your rising up? What do you think contributes to your willingness to, to do something about it? I think the big thing for me is that doing this and ha working to try to fix this problem, it was a way, it was a coping mechanism. Like honestly, first and foremost, that's what it was. When I started to think of these ideas, I didn't think of like, oh, I'm going to start this global like nonprofit. I'm going to take a gap year. Like none of these things were on my mind. You know, I literally just wanted to make it better for one person. That's the only thing that, because I felt like if I could do that, that would make me like, that would ensure that that's one person that doesn't have to go through what I have to go through. And so like, honestly, like it kind of saved my life in that sense. It was activism really started to be like a coping mechanism, a way of, it, it made me feel like when I was helping these other people go through their situations, that when they grow up and they're in these same situations, they won't have to go through what I'm going. And I felt um, that case, it was kind of saving me, like it was mm -hmm. saving little Ina. And that's kind of like how I started to think about it. And the other thing I think that had to, has a big role in me actually deciding to do something about it is because I am like obviously a woman of color growing up in a place that's not very diverse and people often look at, at activism as a choice but I feel like for people like me activism isn't a choice it's what we kind of have to do to survive and that's really what it was for me it was a survival mechanism that's how I coped that's how I felt like I could live in this world hmm. yeah that's so powerful thank you it's also um I like that you said saving little Ina. That was, mm -hmm. that was a brilliant catch, right? Because mm -hmm. ultimately when you're saving yourself, you're saving others as well. And I imagine it feels way more empowering. For sure. Definitely. And like just going back to what you were saying earlier about like viewing these people as gifts, I think obviously I'm not at all, like I never want to go back into that situation. Although I know that if this Ina went through that situation, there's no chance that these kids had any 
you know, could even like touch me or it, it hurt me in any way. <laughs> but I've definitely become a lot, lot stronger and more confident and well-spoken throughout this experience. But yeah, I like often think about if that situation hadn't happened to me, if I would have still been doing these things. And if I, you know, I would have thought of these ideas and would able to have the impact that I have. Like I'm, I don't like to go as far to say I'm thankful for it because it was a very bad place, but I am, I am grateful that it happened to me because I was able, I had the support network and everything to be able to make it better for other people. Yeah. I think having the support to move through it is, is fundamental. It sounds like exactly your, your parents and your, your family was there for you. And you also had that foundation as a place to fall back on where mm-hmm. you knew you were loved and honored and respected and having that fundamental place to belong is so important in us building our resiliency. Mm-hmm. What did you learn about the bullies as, as you start doing this work? What did you learn about them? Not your specific bullies, right? Uh-huh. But just like the stereotypical bully. Is there anything, any wisdom you have about that? Well, I think when this kind of goes back to what I said earlier about when I read that article about how it develops at the age of six, like it really made me think about, like it kind of honestly made me feel bad for them. I don't hold any, like if I see them now, I, I don't have that feeling where I want to punch them in the face or anything. I honestly, like, I do feel bad for them that they had to go through a life where these things were so ingrained that they felt like it was their right to treat someone like that. And I can't imagine what it is to live in a body where you have that much hate in you. Honestly, like, that's the biggest thing that I learned is that you're not born like that. These things are ingrained in your mind by, like I said, the media, TV, books, people around you, school, right? And so being able to like create an educational program where we're tackling these issues. We're not only helping kids who are the victims, we're helping the bullies too, because honestly, they're just as much of the victims as the victims and the bully and victims. I'm so glad you said that because that was going to be my next question. Can you see how they are also victims of their own circumstances? Yeah, they are for sure. And that's a way in which we're all similar, right? Like we're all Mm -hmm. just victims of our own circumstances. And and they're, they're doing the best they can with what they've been programmed with. Yeah. And while we don't want the behaviors to continue, the key to shifting these kinds of behaviors in the world doesn't come from hating the haters. It comes from building compassion and seeing how they're only acting out of their own ignorance. And they're, you know, they're victims in the same way that the other side of the bully is a victim. Yeah. Yeah, And I, just, like, thinking about the fact that, like, especially in this gender-based bullying situation, like, how these bullies really were the victims, like, these boys in this situation, these girls who were trying to tear down another girl, like, just think about, like, the fact that when I was succeeding, the fact that it hurt those boys says a lot about them having to deal with, like, their egos, about how they're not being man enough, about how their dads are probably at home telling them to man up all of these things, that probably was having a huge toll on their mental health and they couldn't even feel because they were men, right? And so they were dealing with the exact same problems that I was dealing. I was dealing with the fact that I couldn't be succeeding the same way as they were because I was a girl. 
I would be looked at as too feminine or bitchy if I said something in a debate round that, you know, that someone else could go say, and they were, it was fine, you know? So like we were dealing with the exact same problem. Except you didn't have any of those limiting beliefs about yourself. You overcame any limiting belief that you could possibly put on yourself around who you could or couldn't be because you were achieving those goals and you were succeeding. And they, on the other hand, had all these limiting beliefs about who they were because they weren't achieving what you were achieving. And then you're right. Our ego gets sort of damaged. And once our ego gets Mm -hmm. damaged, forget it. We got to go in there and defend the ego any way we know how, because we're scared to death that our, our identity is being threatened somehow. So, you know, here you are plugging along, like feeling confident, just stepping into your debate roles, being your best self, and then you rise all the way up and then all of a sudden people are starting to take you down, but it has nothing to do with like who you actually are. It has to do with their own experience of themselves. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, it's super interesting because, you know, what I'm seeing in these cases around bullying and people like yourself who are filled with confidence and clarity and courage, all these qualities that we all have inside us. And some of us have greater access to them than others. And when we're intimidated or threatened by those of us who are standing up and being our highest selves, you know, then we bullies emerge, you know, as a result. So I think just knowing that, that you being your highest, most brilliant self is inspiring to many and simultaneously threatening to many, those who don't feel those qualities in themselves. Yeah, and that's why it goes back to the whole thing of like the bully also being a victim. Hey guys, you're still here. I hope that means you're enjoying this episode as much as me. And I want you to know I really appreciate you. And today I have a gift for you. You see, right before coronavirus hit, I launched my new brand and I was really excited to launch my new online membership community for young people where we gather weekly online for 30 minutes to practice meditation, connect with one another, share, and get some live coaching from me to help navigate everyday life stresses. With all that's currently going on in the world, we're all so much more stressed and likely way more disconnected these days. So I've created a space to connect intimately and authentically so we can support one another as we navigate these crazy times. You know, originally I was offering these memberships at a low monthly rate so it could be accessible to everyone. But in the spirit of all that's occurring in the world right now, I feel inclined to offer this for free to any young adult in or just out of college. So if you or someone you know could use a place to be seen, supported, heard, and held in community of like-minded folks, I hope you'll take advantage of this invitation. Like I said, it's a monthly membership. You'll have four opportunities to connect per month, and you can drop in whenever you like, no obligation. To register now, head over to annemariechiresso.me or text meditate to 474747 and I'll be on the lookout for you.
Welcome back to university. You're listening to my conversation with Ina Bupalam. We've been talking about bullies, gender equality, and how bullying led to the formation of her organization, Dream Equal, a nonprofit dedicated to addressing gender equality from a very young age. Let's rejoin the conversation as Ina breaks down how the nonprofit actually works. So you said this starts at age six and you started Dream Equal. How is Dream Equal tackling these issues with children as young as six? Are you doing that or? Yeah, so basically, um, like I said, like I started this program, I didn't have this idea of it becoming like a big organization or anything. I started to develop this idea more as I started doing the work. So it originally, actually, it only started with girls, um, young girls in my, the elementary school that I went to. Um, it took. I think six months or something to get approval from the district to even be able to go into a program for these little girls and have a, you know, a minor lead that program, you know? Mm-hmm. And so with the help of the principal and everything and some connections that I'd made in the school district over the years, I was able to run that program. Only a couple kids showed up the first day. Like literally, I think there was only three girls. And then- and like an was after so school program? Yeah. Okay. And that was so disappointing. I mean, I, I had spent all this time like yeah. trying to get the district approval. And then they were like, okay, yeah, I can do it. You have one week to advertise. Or like not even one. I think it was like four days to advertise. And like three kids show up. But they enjoyed it so much that they brought their friends. And I think That's I started awesome. to do some research about like these different issues that girls were facing. And like going into my own things and asking my friends and about the issues that they faced and everything. And we just had genuine discussions with these girls about like things that they were facing at school. Like one of the girls was saying how she was the top gymnast, one of the top gymnasts in the state or something. And she wasn't allowed to do as many pushups as the boys and she can only do girl pushups. And that she was told that by her male PE teacher. And she how was able she? to, she was, I think seven or eight years old. Holy cow. Yeah. And so like, she was so young. She, I think she was like first, second grade. And then she was able to go then at the end of the program, go speak out about this. And then I think that PE teacher actually got in trouble for saying those things. <laughs> um, and awesome. so, yeah. And so just like seeing like from the beginning to the end of the program, like kids were smiling more, standing more confident. Like they were just radiating like this energy that I knew that like when you impact these girls, they're going to impact all the kids that they ever interact with. Right. It has um, a ripple effect. It has a giant yeah, exactly. ripple effect. But it started off like that, and we partnered with Girl Up, which is a campaign of the United Nations Foundation. We started running our programs to them in Nebraska. And then during my senior year, uh, we started to receive some national publicity. We won like a $10,000 national grant competition. And then people started reaching out to me, and they're like, wow, like, I really like this idea. How can I do this in my community? And that's when I started, you know, thinking about the idea of taking a gap year to really expand this. And that's when I started thinking about all genders. I did more research. I talked to gender studies professors because I knew if I was going to make this an official nonprofit organization that was going to go through many backgrounds and everything, I really had to make sure that I was being as intersectional as possible and as inclusive and it was actually tackling the root of the problem. That's when um, I started talking to gender studies professors and then together we started coming up with curricula that we could use um, to tackle these programs. And I started to assemble a team um, the summer that I graduated. And so 
that's when we started building the structure of Dream Equal. And now we have a curricula team that's just dedicated to writing this curricula, creating gender sensitivity curriculum for staff members and everything. And then now Dream Equal is a global chapter-based system. And so kids start chapters or community leaders start chapters wherever they're based. And then they go on and then bring Dream Equal to their community. So whether that means running elementary school empowerment programs, running gender neutral parenting workshops or gender sensitive staff training, there's like an entire array of things that you can do to fit the curricula to what specifically your community needs. That's so amazing. You should be, are you feeling so proud of yourself? (laughs) Um, I think like with activism, that's something that I think a lot of youth activists have to work on because it's not like taking a math course where like, you know, you learn the subject and it's done, it's accomplished, you feel successful. Gender equality is a very big goal. And that's not something that you can finish in like a year or two months or three years, right? Um, And so it's a lot of trying to focus on the small wins and trying to stay optimistic through it all. Yeah, and you've um, really made impact and you're, you're growing quickly, like it's rippling out right? That Mm -hmm. like you just started with the, you said you were disappointed. It was only three girls at first, but this is how impact is. It's like dominoes. So I love what you've created. I I have a lot of appreciation for your willingness to shift your consciousness so that you're available to make impact in the world and not be a victim of your own experience, because that's what the world needs now. The world needs more people like you who are willing to rise above their challenges and be the change, be the change we want to see in the world. It's like a really common quote, right? We all say that all the time, but you're actually embodying it. You're being it, which is exactly how we started this conversation. Yeah. About acting, right? (laughs) About acting and presence and mindfulness. It's like we can talk about gender equality or we can be gender equality. We can talk about activism or we can be an activist. So I just have a ton of appreciation for your willingness to to really step in and be the things that we need. And no matter what, in your small part of the world, you're making impact, which has big ripple effects out throughout the whole world. So keep remembering that because I know that it can be futile. It can be futile to do this kind of work. It can be, yes. (laughs) You said we want to be sure that we're getting to the root of the problem. I have some ideas about what I believe is at the root of the problem, but I want to hear about yours. What do you think is at the root of this Mm -hmm. kind of problem? Like it just goes back to that whole like dream equals all about gender stereotypes. And that's what I truly believe is at the root of the problem is that these gender stereotypes that are ingrained through literally every single thing that we're surrounded by and every single thing that we see and that we hear and that like everything. Right. And so that's why like it was very important to me that we're tackling the stereotyping we're recreating the educational system to be gender sensitive so when a kid walks into school they're getting an equal gender sensitive education their education is the same as the boy that's sitting right next to me and the boy's education same as the girl or whatever you identify as right and that goes in with creating these like gender sensitive environments means when you tackle these problems and you impact these kids and they're thinking in a gender sensitive way when they became become older and they're CEOs or politicians or they're actors then their persona and who they're impacting and the people who look look up to them and their 
following is all going to have all going to be able to reap those same benefits Mm -hmm. and so I think it's really all about like remaking this next generation and the generations that come after us to be gender sensitive that's a little hard at times because it feels like it's going to take years sometimes to see the effect that this organization is having um like obviously you can see the small things immediately but like see like how they impact their kids and how they are different in their careers and everything but it's very much like I think the environment that we're in is a huge issue and so just trying to recreate this environment to be gender sensitive you know i also believe that at the root of all these problems is really our belief systems that create gender stereotypes right because our stereotypes come from our belief systems and in meditation in buddhist meditation we talk about beginner's mind you said something earlier about similar to that Um, But it's like starting over from a young age and getting curious and just wiping the slate clean so that we can be curious again, rather than having our deeply ingrained beliefs without questioning them. And I think that that's a really big problem to solve is getting at one another's belief systems, which are ingrained in us from our families, which are ingrained in us from generations to generations. So I really appreciate that you have a willingness to open people's minds and tackle this issue because it's a big one and it's an important one. Yeah. One piece of advice you have for the bullies out in the world and one piece of advice you have for the victims out in the world. I think honestly, my advice would be exactly the same for both. And I think that would be think about what you're feeling. Think about why you're feeling it. And then think about the other people who are probably Mm. feeling the same thing as you. Figure out why they're also feeling the same way as you. And then start changing the why and Mm. fix the problem. Um, Because that's exactly how it was for me. Mm. So true. What the world needs now is... (laughs) Um, I I think actually always is love and compassion and empathy. I think that's a very cheesy answer, and that's probably what a lot of people say, but I think it's extremely true in these times, and honestly, if everyone had a little bit of empathy and a little love and a little compassion, I think 99% of the world's problems wouldn't exist. I completely agree with you. Yeah. You said, what's the root of the problem earlier to the gender stereotype, and one of the thoughts I had was a lack of compassion. And see, that's the other thing is that Gender stereotypes have to do a lot with a lack of compassion and empathy. Boys aren't taught how to feel. Men aren't taught how to feel. No way. Um, They feel, but they're not taught how to feel. Like they're not taught that they're allowed to feel. And so if we're able to give everyone that permission to feel, then we have a lot more empathy. Yeah. So I think it all just correlates with those stereotypes. It's huge. You have hit on it's something I talk a lot about in my work because I have a ton of compassion for the young men out in the world who are just trying to figure out how to be with all their emotions because no one has given permission in their whole life how to feel vulnerable, how to feel scared, how to feel sad. And we're all living with those things. And if we don't have permission to feel, feel them, they're going to have to come out some way or another. And they end up coming out in aggressive ways. Last one. One leader that inspires me is? Um, 
think right now Meghan Markle is probably like a huge <laughs> inspiration to me. I think like the fact that she set an example by leaving a toxic situation and being her own person. And I think she set a huge, huge example by leaving that toxic situation because it showcases that no matter how much like fame or money or whatever you're getting, you always leave a toxic situation and you put yourself first. And I think that's a very powerful message to send to a lot of young people. That's she's also just like a wonderful actor as well, an activist. Yeah. And so I think like she has like a lot of things that I really look up to is like the way she is as a person, the way she is as an activist and she's a phenomenal actress as well. And that's, a, well, those are a lot of things that I hope to be. Yeah. Well, and by the way, you already are. You Thank don't have you. to hope to be any of those things. Deep bow of gratitude for you being a light on the planet, for you stepping into your power for you sharing your time and space and energy with me right now. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And keep doing what you're doing. I'm so confident in the next generation of leaders if you are one of them. Thank you. So that was my conversation with Ina Bupalam. We've included all of her social media handles in the show notes. You can find out more about Dream Equal at dreamequalinc.org. And thank you, Ina, so much for your wide open, compassionate heart and for all the work you're doing in the world. I know you're going to make a big difference in so many people's lives. Okay, now for some homework. Like Ina, we all have a little one inside us that needs to be recognized, understood, and loved. And we're all seeking connection back to that innocent, helpful, pure self that existed long before we met fear, right? Ina is transforming and healing her little one by helping others through Dream Equal. Today, I'm inviting us to take a first step towards getting to know our little one in this brief little exercise. So take a moment and just sit in a comfortable position. Get still. Feel rooted in the seat beneath you and simply allow your eyes to close and just breathe. Watching the breath as it moves through the body. As you still the body, you still the mind. As you begin to clear the mind, make space to call to mind your childhood home or the house or space you grew up in. You can look into the window of your childhood home and find yourself through that window. Where are you? What are you doing? What do you see? Who's with you? What's going on in your relationships? How do you feel? What stories are you aware of? What gifts you possess that others may have overlooked or missed 
or simply not seeing? What gifts have been celebrated? What burdens were you to carry? What made you sad? And what brought you hope? As you sit here, breathing, seeing your small self, your childhood self, Noticing where you are and who you see, what's going on in your relationships and how you feel. Paying attention to the stories you're aware of, what burdens you were to carry. Now's the time to rekindle the hope that preceded any pain or fear that came into your life. Simply notice the hopeful inner child in yourself just like Mina. Take a breath in as you imagine the look on your face as a child. Maybe even embracing that little one, bringing that one a little bit closer. And simply creating space in your heart for that one knowing that that little one is doing the best they can. Just like you are. When you're ready, gently and slowly flutter your eyes back open and come back into this now moment. Taking a breath, breath of gratitude for taking some space and time out to create that space to get to know the little one inside you. Maybe just ask, what's that one wanting in this now moment? How can you take that one forward throughout your day? Okay, that's all for now. May you breathe easily. Take it one moment at a time and keep doing the thing you love. I look forward to seeing you next time. The university's executive producer is Tyler Green of thestoryproducer.com. This podcast is also produced and edited by Katie Clarkson. The university team also includes Marsha Craig, Ashwath Narayanan from Culture Media, Adam Harris, and Kim Redding. University is a production of Bring It Home, founded by Anne-Marie Chiresso. You can find out more at A-N-N-M-A-R-I-E-C-H-E-R-E-S-O dot me. Or follow us at Anne-Marie Chiresso on Instagram. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to this show on your favorite podcast app, and write us a review. It really does help us have more of an impact in the world. Thanks so much for listening in, and I look forward to seeing you next time. Gender equality is a very big goal, and that's not something that you can finish in like a year or two months or three years, right?